So today is our last day of this sermon series, The Power of Re. I have really loved it. We've been looking at words that begin with those letters, R-E, and as we looked at the scriptures that have been in our lectionary text throughout Epiphany. Epiphany, the season after Christmas, the season of illumination of who Jesus was to become, who Jesus is, the ministry that he would begin, and how that will frame our own. We began with the word resolve, where we read the story of the Magi that traveled to see, the, see Jesus a little bit after he was born. The Magi resolved to seek the newborn king, and the Holy Spirit empowered their resolve to do so. The next passage was the baptism of Jesus, and our word was refresh. We said that the waters of baptism refresh our own lives and tell us who we are, beloved children of God. Last week's word, restart, the calling of the first four disciples, this ragtag group of people who embraced the opportunity for a restart and decided to live their lives following Jesus. Last week, Eric told us the compelling story and the story behind the story of the calling of the first four disciples, and he told it through the Gospel of John, which was the lectionary text, the prescribed readings for the Gospel reading last week. Well, this week, the lectionary text moves to the Gospel of Matthew, but it tells the same story, but in a slightly different way. But why such a similar text? The calling of the disciples last week, the calling of the disciples this week. In the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are often shared stories, sometimes seemingly identical, but sometimes not. Different details written or omitted in each one. Differing points of view, differing audiences, different intentions. And so it's not, it's, we don't need to get hung up on the differences, but it matters how we read them and what they are saying to us, what we learn from each telling of similar stories. And so today we will look at the similar story of the calling of the first four disciples, and we'll close out the power of re with one final word, reframe. So let's listen to this version of the calling story, read uh, from Matthew 4, verses 12 through 23. See if you can see where those differences are if you were here last week. I am reading today from Eric's favorite translation of the Bible, the Common English Bible. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. He said the right translation. And so um, I, I use a different translation to just read and study. It's all good. And uh, <laughs> so here we go. This is Matthew 4, 12 through 23. Now when Jesus heard that John was arrested, this is John the Baptist, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and settled in Capernaum, which lies along the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet said, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali along the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who lived in the dark have seen a great light, and a light has come upon those who lived in the region and in shadow of death. From that time, Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives, here comes the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus walked alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, 
throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So John the Baptist has been arrested, and this triggers Jesus to leave his home from Nazareth, and he goes and he sets up a new life, a new home, begins his ministry now, for now, in Capernaum. He moves away from home, away from security and family, away from cultural norms and expectations. Sons didn't leave their families. They stayed and they added to the family business or trade. This tightly knit and interdependent community relied heavily on family. But he leaves and he heads to Capernaum and here is where the section of the scripture is slightly different in detail. Why all of this from Matthew about Zebulun and Naphtali? Why quote, Matthew, or why quote Isaiah here? Matthew wrote, The land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, along the sea, across the Jordan River, Galilee of the Gentiles. This is going to sound familiar from our Advent readings. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And a light that has come upon those who live in the region and in the shadow of death. This area that Jesus chose was not the safest choice to begin a life in ministry. This specific place, however, is where Jesus chose to go. Capernaum, a considerably larger city than his hometown of Nazareth, not a huge city, but substantially larger, more cosmopolitan and growing in number uh, and culture. It was located along, right along the Sea of Galilee, and it had the infamous Roman road going right through it for travel and so that the Roman rule of law could be heavily, strictly enforced. It was also a region that was not solely a Jewish community. At one time, it had been part of the Israeli northern kingdom, but not anymore, and now it was a mixture of a Jewish community and a Syrian culture, and also the heavy Roman rule. It was an amalgamation of people and culture. Isaiah called it the Galilee of the Gentiles. Um, in, in my translation, the NRSV, the Galilee of the nations. Matthew says this, both meaning Jesus' ministry is for all people, all nations. And Jesus begins right smack dab in the middle of it. And so Jesus sets up shop, and he starts to announce that same message that his cousin John the Baptist did. Change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. And this, in our season of epiphany, that right there is the epiphany. It's Jesus right there in the shadow of death announcing 
Change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Matthew quoting, a light has come upon those who lived in the region in the shadow of death. This place where Jesus began, not safe, not comfortable, not easy. Some would say that living in Rome was good. They had advanced roadways and water structure and systems for culture to thrive. Some would say it was even a fairly peaceful time, but that was simply not true because peace came at the end of a sword. Everyone, everyone, even within the structure of the Roman rule, harshly ruled and enforced. A light has come. A light has come upon those who lived in that region of the shadow of death. And this light, Jesus, was saying, change your heart, change your lives. Here I am. So Matthew proceeds with the same similar calling story. Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees the first two brothers, come follow me. They follow. The second two brothers, come follow me. Immediately they leave and follow. Immediately. And so the first four disciples are called. And they immediately follow too. And they too, just like Jesus did, leave their families, leave their livelihoods, leave their cultural obligations and their family expectations, leave the safety of what they know. To follow a man shouting for all to hear, change. And then the last verse, 23, telling us of Jesus' activity in that region, what his kingdom life would be all about, the mission of the kingdom of heaven, traveling through Galilee, teaching, announcing the good news for all people, healing every disease, every sickness, being among the people. On Friday, as I was gathering everything I would need for the women's retreat, which was so wonderful. Can we just applaud the leaders of that? Oh, my gosh. Such a special, special weekend. Thank you, ladies. But was, on Friday, I was gathering my things that I would need to take, and I was hunting down a flashlight, uh, which I eventually found. But I even deployed my children to go hunt for me. We eventually found it. Um, but the only problem was I couldn't get it to turn on. And so I'm, I have it right here. I don't, I need new glasses. And so I don't see new well, uh, very well. So I'm holding it, fiddling with it, fiddling with it. And I can't get it on. I'm struggling. And all of a sudden, like right here before my eyes, it turns on, right shining this blazing intense light into my eyes. <sighs> it was jolting. It was even a little painful, and I quickly shut my eyes. And then I had a thought. This is what epiphany is all about. The illumination, the quick illumination of Jesus entering Capernaum. The quick illumination of my eyes, uh, the light in my eyes. The illumination of who Jesus is and his mission then, his mission now. And sometimes it can be like that. Sometimes it can be shocking or jolting, painful. And sometimes we might even want to shut our eyes tight from it. 
a light has dawned. And this is not the gentle, lovely, low, sl uh, slow sunrise that we might go out to see with ample time for our eyes to adjust in our own time. But it was abrupt and jolting and painful. The light, the epiphany, the illumination to change your hearts and lives. We shut our eyes. We can't see. A light can do two things. The first thing it can do is a light can illuminate things that we're afraid of to make things less scary. I was walking down the path to go to the campfire on Friday night, and I, for, and I thought, oh, I forgot my flashlight in my room. Cool. That could have illuminated to make my uh, footing a little less scary. This light, though, the light of the world, this is Jesus. Illuminating things in our life, allowing us to know him and to know that he is with us at all times. Allowing us to know his peace and his comfort and his forgiveness and his mercy, his tenderness and his compassion, knowing that he calls us beloved. But a light can also do this. A light can also illuminate things that we would best have left in the dark. This is our light. This is the light of the world. This is Jesus. Illuminating things within us. Illuminating things in the world, which we would have just best kept in the dark. Calling us, just like those disciples, to come and follow calling us to change our hearts and lives and calling us to look out into the world, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the Galilee of the nations, and to follow him right there in the smack dab middle of it. Jesus knew, moved to a new place, invited new people to join him, had a new way of doing ministry. And so while Jesus may not be asking us to literally move like he did, literally pick up our households and move, but maybe to move in a different way. Perhaps Jesus is leading us as individuals and as a church to change our hearts and lives, to change in how we do life together as a faith family. Perhaps he is asking us to reframe how we have thought about ministry in the past, to reframe how we do it, why we do it, and with whom we do it. And this is not always easy and, you know, to change, to make an inner change, to make a corporate change. It's like a flashlight to the eye. For a long time, the church, maybe 50, 70 years ago, the American churches were packed. You couldn't build buildings fast enough. People were moving here to Florida in droves. Churches were bursting at the seams. Because one reason is during that time, it was the cultural norm. If you move somewhere, you instantly find a church that you will be attending in your new place. But over time, that culture uh, mindset changed, 
And I wonder if, if that old mindset gave us, the church in general, gave us a false sense of security and mission. We're packed. We must be doing it right. And I think for a lot of it, probably most of it, oh, yeah. Did we preach Jesus? Absolutely. Always. But did, did we do church in such a way that caused us to gain such scriptural knowledge without putting in, it into practice? Did we become a church, the church in general, did we become a church biblically overweight without the exercise of going out, of going out, going out farther, following Jesus in a wider, broader understanding? leaving the walls of the church campus and going out into the unknown like Jesus at Capernaum, leaving the typical expectations, maybe even cultural norms and obligations of a church, including these people but not these people, telling other people to repent and change their lives without examining our own. I wonder... Several years ago, I began attending, uh, both Eric and I did, we began attending um, fresh expression trainings. You've heard a lot now about fresh expressions, new people, new places, new ways. That's their catchphrase, fresh expressions, new people, new places, new ways. But a little while into those trainings over the years, I began to think, why is this idea of fresh expressions a new thing? Because isn't this, in fact, what we are called to be doing? And so I just share with you a private moment I had with the Lord. I went to the Lord in prayer. I talked to him about this a long time. And I asked him this question. I said, Lord, have I been working hard to build the institution of the church? Instead of being the church. I think so, Lord. Will you help me to change? This was a reframing of my understanding of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So does this call for us, for you and me, mean to abandon what we're already doing? No. We grow in our faith by attending worship each week unless we're sick or out of town. We grow in our faith by our own personal time of prayer and scripture study. We grow by being part of small groups for deeper study and for fellowship and community. We, are, we grow in our faith by generosity, giving, and serving. That's all part of it, and that is vital and good. But we are also called to the world that is on fire and hurting and suffering and lonely. And I believe we are called to reframe our understanding of who is in and who is out. Because the beauty of it is, everyone's in. And so when, when we tend to start to think that someone might be out, time for us to reframe, to change. 
parting part of this reframing is our part and how we do this together as a faith family. Just like Eric was talking about with the card that we uh, received today, this may take some reframing or understanding to, how, to know just how important every single person is in building this community life in a faith family. Not building an institution, but being the church. And we all have a part. And also part of this reframing in our understanding of who will we engage with and how? Who? So let's talk about wrestling for a minute. <laughs> when I first heard this, I have to admit to you, I was like, what in the world are we talking about? You've got to be kidding me. But then I got to thinking about my prayer with Jesus. Repenting for building an institution, but not being the church. And then all I could think of was, why are we not doing this? Opening our doors to maybe some people that would not be welcome somewhere else. Opening our doors to whole new groups of people, maybe people that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe people that have never felt the joy of gathering with a faith family and what that feels like. Why wouldn't we do this? And so now, man, I'm all about it. And I promise it will be family friendly. Not like the wrestling we see on TV right now. Family friendly, old school. Um, there's no cursing in this. There's no sexual overtones. Old school. There will be a message of the good news preached, a short one, by Landon and Greg. I mean, why would we not? And I'll have to tell you, church, I am so proud of you. I am so proud to be your pastor in this moment right here where we're saying, yeah, man, we're doing wrestling at this church. Jesus is asking us to reframe our thinking, and he shows us this kingdom-minded life. And he calls us to reframe our lives following his example, to leave the old norms and, and maybe some old systems and expectations. Our mission, to create a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace, we do this by continuing to grow as disciples in study and worship and small groups and serving here on our campus. And we will continue to do this by going out in the community to develop even more places where people can know Christ. And so this, really, y'all, this has me reeling. Like, what else could we do? Where else could we go? Who else could we love? What risks could we take for the kingdom? How else can Jesus change our hearts and lives so that we follow further? And that our understanding of being church is expanded. Doors and hearts open wide to where Jesus is calling us to follow. Where do you need a reframing in your own heart, in your own life? How can we look out at the world with fresh, reframed eyes and ask Jesus, what's next? What's next, Lord? Amen.
friends, will you stand as we sing our closing song? I do apologize. It's over past 1115 almost. But if you can, let's stay and sing our hearts out to the Lord.
isn't he so worthy of it all? Worthy to follow right smack dab wherever he leads us. So we will change our hearts and lives together. We will help one another in community to do so. So may we go now with hearts full of Christ Jesus, the Lord who is worthy of it all. So go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' name, amen.